Welcome to the Value Through Vulnerability podcast, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. This evening, I had the absolute pleasure of welcoming Deborah Hurwitz um, to the podcast. Deborah is nothing short of an inspiration for me personally. Um, she and I met in Los Angeles last year um, after I followed her on her Productivity for Perfectionists webinar series, where she had a whole range of different people um, coming along to talk about perfectionism, you know, challenging. Um, how we go about getting stuff done um, and getting unstuck. And I just found Deborah hugely inspirational throughout that um, particular webinar series, and in particular her openness, willingness, and love to basically speak with people, um, anybody that was interested to feedback or have a discussion around some of the takeaways that were coming out of that particular series. So that's how I came across and in the end met um, Deborah face to face. She very kindly joined me on this podcast this evening, evening to explore the three key themes that we like to explore on this podcast series covering vulnerability, self-awareness and inclusion. It's a slightly different conversation in that it's less, let's say, to do with corporate life and more to do with the life coaching work um, and focus on entrepreneur, entrepreneurial success that Deborah deals with. But so much of the learning and so many of the takeaways can easily be applied to corporate life. And in fact, I think if corporations took the time to listen to this podcast, they'd take an awful lot away from it. It would indeed help them with their leadership development programs. So I do hope you enjoy it. Please do feedback to Deborah and or myself. And uh, I believe you'll get an awful lot out of uh, sparing the 45 minutes to listen to us talk this evening. Thanks very much. So welcome to Value Through Vulnerability, a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And I'm really, really excited to have Deborah Hurwitz with us this evening. Hi, Deborah. Hello, Gary. How are you doing? I am very well. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so just for any listeners, um, I met Deborah probably around six months ago. Was it a bit longer than that, Deborah, on your, yeah, your product? A bit longer, last fall. Yep. Which is quite mad where's that time gone I don't know but so <laughs> how I came across Deborah was with she led uh, an online webinar series called productivity for perfectionists mm -hmm. and I was pretty excited about pretty much everything that's being discussed <laughs> by, by Deborah and the guests and it really sort of hooked me in and uh, Deborah very kindly gave me some feedback sort of shared some of her insights and uh, yeah sort of very grateful that you joined me today so thank you for coming along Absolutely. Well, it's really exciting to see just how fast and far you've brought those initial visions that you spoke to me about when we first left into, into being. So, you know, kudos to you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you very much. So would you mind just giving a bit of an overview? Because I'm going to get a little bit fanboy on this otherwise. So I better let you introduce <laughs> particularly the Jersey Boy link just for Jackie out there. So you can get a couple of minutes rundown like who Absolutely. you are, what you're doing, etc. Absolutely, sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, so the Productivity for Perfectionist tribe and work is actually quite new and it came out of uh, a whole separate um, set of parallel careers that came together and, and gave me an idea about how people across very different industries really seem to have some of the same issues and, and what those industries were were uh, show business and network marketing so I've been a, a career 
artist since I was 12 years old when I was playing piano at bar mitzvahs and teaching voice. Um, I, I went to Princeton and got really into electronic music production, came out into New York and started doing commercial music. I was super excited, literally, about like car commercials and soda commercials. I just thought it was the hippest, sexiest music. Um, and I wanted to learn how to make music that sounded like sexy and polished and radio ready and all that good stuff. And I was also a, an angsty teenage songwriter. I wanted to learn how to make my stuff sound like, you know, top 10 hits on the radio. Um, and this was not to date myself completely, but this was in an age when, when synth production, electronic music production was really just coming into being, you know, and, and rock and roll and guitars and basses and drums were starting to be, at least in the mainstream, uh, supplemented or even replaced by electronics. And I came up as a concert pianist. That was my, my musical upbringing was was classical piano and, and uh, you know, virtuoso solo piano performance. So bringing all of that together, the keyboards, the production, the sexy sounds in the recording studio was kind of my first love. And then I had also done a ton of theater in school and I went you know, immediately to New York and started sitting in in the Broadway pit orchestras uh, and, you know, just asking anyone who would give me a chance to sit next to them and watch what they were doing, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to please do that. And so I, over the course of the first decade of my career, made a career as a, a jingle writer and a Broadway keyboard player. Um, and then from there, I moved up into conducting. My first Broadway show that I conducted was Saigon, and uh, I also played um, Tommy, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and then my, my two big shows were Mamma Mia and Jersey Boys. And I was with Jersey Boys for the first uh, six years on Broadway as the original um, associate music director, conductor, on stage keys and vocals, and uh, synth programmer, uh, music technical designer, and synth programmer. So bringing all of that studio production and technology together with the live performance and the energy exchange with the audience, that was really my sweet spot. So I super enjoyed that. I'm still the music technical designer for Jersey Boys. We just finished putting up a new company on the Norwegian Bliss out of Amsterdam. And uh, in about a month, I start work on the new Jersey Boys Australia. Australia tour. So I'm still with the Broadway world. Um, however, I migrated <laughs> in 2011 to LA. Um, I wanted to do more TV and film. I had I did a bunch of TV shows. I still have a bunch of stuff. I mean, people can go to my website and see all the, the bajillions of <laughs> TV and, and, uh, and film credits. Um, but I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to shift from theater and Broadway being my main bread and butter to TV and movies being my main bread and butter. I wanted to be in LA and I got this incredible opportunity to music direct a Cirque du Soleil production that was putting down roots in Los Angeles. It was going to uh, run for 10 years and then it closed after two. Uh, it was a huge process to get the gig. I was leaving this very solid, cushy Broadway show that was going to run for another 10 years. I knew it was a risk, but it was a dream come true for me. I was working with Danny Elfman, who's an A-list Hollywood film composer. And, uh, you know, I got to be in his studio for six months, months which was a fantastic jam. Um, and uh, it was just kind of laying what seemed to me to be the next steps of my career at my feet. And long story, sh somewhat shorter. <laughs> um, when that show closed quite a bit earlier than what was originally intended, I found myself in like a serious crossroads. I hit a major wall. You want to talk about vulnerability? It was hard for me to go out and be with people without feeling like a complete sham wow. because here I was ostensibly at the peak of my career. I'm bi-coastal. I have an apartment in New York, an apartment in Los Angeles. I'm married to this handsome, fabulous guy. I've got all these cool credits and I've just finished, you know, eight years running of a top Broadway show followed by a top Cirque du Soleil show. Now what? And what was now what was that I was exhausted. I was completely um, depleted and depressed. I was bewildered that I was here 
at a point in my career where supposedly I was supposed to, quote unquote, feel successful and accomplished and energized. And instead, I felt completely anxious and afraid I did not have the next gig lined up. It had all happened quite suddenly. I had no idea what I was doing next. And, and here I was essentially starting over, like the exact same stuff that I was doing when I was 24, 25, pounding the pavements of New York, I was now going to be doing years later, <laughs> you know? And I had, sure, I could get better quality freelance work. I could go back to New York and start subbing on the shows. And I have lots of contacts. And yes, I have an established career. So I wasn't going to so, totally be starting from scratch. But the feeling was, I'm doing the same stuff again making phone calls, networking, see who's got what, you know, that kind of thing. And I just, I lost it. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't start over. I couldn't just keep doing what I was doing. I needed a better way. Um, and at that point I turned to, I'll call it sort of my interim business project, which was, which was my network marketing company. And I'm a consultant with Arbonne and I reached a certain level with that company. I'm a big fan of network marketing as a business model for entrepreneurs, especially as kind of a, a, a moving spot, a transitional ground, uh, to be able to write your own paycheck and decide who you work with and, um, you know, represent and train and coach and sell in a domain, which, which you believe in, right? Something where it's like you really do believe the world will be a better place for these products or these services. Um, and I, I think that that's really powerful. However, I already had my passion career. You know what I mean? And, and you know, music is my second language after English. Some could argue it was my first because I was, you know, tinkering around with musical toys before I could speak. And, and I had made a career there. I did what I loved. And it was fraught with issues, right, along the way. What it didn't have primarily was stability. Um, but there were also ways in which that career, the, uh, the way I had it, was not a real fit for me. Ways in which I was selling out, selling my skills to the highest bidder, being a mercenary, you know, and, and repping a company. At the end of the day, the network marketing felt that sort of same way for me. There was still this kind of compromise, this kind of like, but what am I really doing? <laughs> you know, um, and, and a way that I still felt like I was putting on a bit of a, a facade, like pretending things were better than they were. Right. I mean, there's there's plenty of validity to the whole fake it till you make it thing in certain ways. But there for me was too much trying to make things look or feel a certain way when they didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was super exhausted by. And there was a huge along the way, both in show business and in the, the shorter term network marketing business that, you know, my industry says you got to not have any certain age. You got to never have a problem. You've got to just have had the most amazing time on your last gig. It has to be the best money you ever made, the best people you ever worked with, right? Like it's, it's gotta be that, right? And if it's not that you're somehow failing. And I was just so tired of trying to live into that story. It was totally exhausting me. And I still wasn't creating the level of stability and lifestyle that I have come to enjoy at other points in my life. And, and where it was sort of like, rather than having feast or famine average out to somewhere in the middle, I just wanted to live at the feast level. <laughs> like just consistently. <laughs> and, and to be honest, I knew that I could have a greater impact on the world that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I've never in my life been a starving artist. Yes. Feast, feast or famine, but never have I been a starving artist. Never have, have I been, you know, I've always lived well. I've always, you know, made decent money and been, fi been financially responsible and all that good stuff. Um, and I, I never had any desire to be hungering and scared and 
frankly distracted by what financial insecurity can do to a person's mission in the world. Um, and so, uh, so that's the very long background to what brought me into where you and I met, which was that I was very well aware that big things were happening online. I was very well aware that between social media, podcasts, alternate media from TV, people were getting known and creating movements and businesses and tribes in very different ways than what had been sort of the previous existence of the, the late 20th, 20th century, right? <laughs> early 21st century. And, um, and I wanted in. I absolutely wanted in on that. Um, I also wanted to figure out how to be the artist that I really wanted to be, an artist that was not beholden to um, clients and creative briefs and deadlines and budgets that other people were determining, right? I wanted to really dig into what I got into music in the first place, which was not to just make other people's stuff look and sound good. And I was also, frankly, and here's where some of the deeper vulnerability piece comes in, I was avoiding the hard stuff. I was avoiding the blank page. I was avoiding writing my masterpiece because that's harder than criticizing someone else's. And, right? And so, and what I realized was that this, the thing that I, that uh, was, that, um, that these two paths had in common, the entrepreneurial, whether it's network marketing or any other business, that where you own it yourself and you're, you're, you're choosing the path yourself, and the artistic path was that people tend to avoid the hard stuff. And it's hard because we care, because it matters, right? It's, it's hard not because it's intrinsically or objectively difficult, but it feels hard to put yourself out there when it matters what people think, because this is the thing I deeply care about. This isn't the thing that's, well, whatever, it's somebody else's gig, whatever, I'm just doing a job, but it's somebody else's company, um, you know, or whatever, if this doesn't work, I'll just go back to that other thing. Like, no, this is the thing that I want to keep precious and safe inside my heart because it's so tender that if anyone like blows on it wrong, I will crumple into a tiny little, you know, torn up piece of paper and blow off into the wind. Right. And, and so I realized that in the same way that I was scared of the blank page, or scared to sit down and really write the music that mattered most to me, no matter what anybody thought or no matter who would or wouldn't buy it. I was also, I also had the same fears about picking up the phone and calling people for it with a business question or a business ask, you know, and it was the same avoidance. It was the same resistance. And alongside all of that, I knew that I was, I am a perfectionist, right? I want things to be great. I want things to be perfect. I do have very high standards for excellence and the perfectionistic piece that, as some of my favorite people say, per perfectionism is just fear dressed up in a mink coat and good shoes, right? It's like <laughs> my high standards were getting sort of like gunged up, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, English is escaping me right now. Uh, it, they were basically just getting flattened, like amalgamated in not a good way in with my fears, right? So I realized that there was this way in which people were, people were avoiding the hard stuff. They were not allowing themselves to really see like what's important to me. What's, what do I really care about? And am I willing to share that? Am I willing to take steps towards that, right? And do I even know how to do that? And so it became this whole process of incorporating the quote unquote good parts of perfectionism, which isn't really perfectionism, really the desire to strive for excellence, the desire to, to do well, um, to do the best you can do, and the desire to actually get something done that counts, right? And so out of that was productivity for perfectionists. <laughs> 
Um, and I started working with a business coach. I just really put myself into the world of building an online business because the other thing that I was doing was just too much running around, like literally too much running around, you know, hours and hours for meetings, LA, the traffic is crazy, right? Like there were just ways in which I was just losing too much time. And now like most of my business world, my art world, everything that I'm doing is like on zoom, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so I've, I've really gotten much more efficient <laughs> speaking of productivity. Uh, but yeah, so that's what really led to all this. I really got into the online world, into the online space, um, into the world of coaching and transformation, helping and serving other people. And, and ultimately that was the missing piece for me. It, it brought to me the opportunity to really see tangibly as well as spiritually and emotionally the difference that it could make for me to help other people and help them meaningfully, help them powerfully in ways that I cared about, like increasing quality creative output in the world, increasing people's authenticity and empowerment in the world, right? The, I, I often call myself the holding the torch for the voice of the wise woman, although wise men are great too, right? But it's like we have entire generations, entire swaths of the population that are like in hiding or just haven't for whatever reason brought their most powerful creative voice forward and perfectionism is wrapped up in a lot of it. The fear of being seen before I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know something? It's just, it's just so inspiring to see you talk Deborah and just for anyone that's listening to this, you know, I've got to give you a thanks just publicly because you've had a couple of chats to me in the background sure. and you know, this podcast is in being in part to those conversations that we had. So I thank you generally for that. And I think, what, what's really interesting for me, you, you mentioned about selling out in mm. the past. Yeah. So, so what, you know, and, that, and to some extent what I'm hearing is that so you felt like you were selling out, but it also clearly wasn't healthy for you somehow to be selling out. How, how did that sort of transition? I, I know it's to some extent forced with the Cirque du Soleil situation coming about, but were you already thinking, now I'm selling out, actually this doesn't quite feel right, how do I move to another sort of state somehow? Is that already in your process? Yeah, yeah. You know, selling out is one of those funky phrases, right? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, if you do anything commercial or you make any money, you're selling out. I want to just say flat out, that is not true. <laughs> you can make a ton of money and not be selling out. That's, That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> right, like um, it's not about a, a, a dollar figure or a pound figure, right? It's not about how much money you're making or who's paying you. It's not, it's like when they say, you know, an alcoholic's not about how much they drink, it's how they drink, right? It's kind of the same thing. Like, selling out it's not about the the transactional nature of what you're doing it's the how and the why and mm -hmm. what was happening was for me i was much more comfortable putting my name on someone else's risk yeah and taking the risk myself understood right i wanted the fame and the fortune and the kudos of the high profile projects and the big budgets and the famous people. I wanted to attach my name and my resume to that cool stuff over there. Right. But doing the work of, and I wanted to have attachments to it. I wanted to have creative input. I wanted to get creative credit. I wanted to have like, you know, the additional music by credit, even though somebody else was the composer, right? Like I wanted those credits and I contributed. It's not like I didn't, I ever wanted credit where I didn't earn it. But in some ways I was latching myself onto what someone else had created to have a piece of the thing and be paid and credited accordingly where I hadn't actually taken the steps to create the thing. I hadn't taken the risk. I hadn't put myself out there to, it wasn't my idea. 
right? Yeah. I had ideas that corresponded to those ideas. I mean, a musical is a huge production with lots of moving parts and thousands of decisions made every day. So everybody's got lots of input, right? But I wanted to be the, the maker of the thing. I wanted to be the author of the thing. I wanted my idea. What I really wanted to be was the person who was in a position I wasn't putting myself in because I wasn't taking the risk. I wasn't taking the creative time. I wasn't actually making the stuff. I wasn't taking the steps to put that stuff out there. I was just kind of latching onto, oh, you've got a cool thing going on. Let me like get in on that. Right. And this is, I'm, you, you told me this is a podcast about vulnerability. So I'm being real here. Like that's the truth. Appreciate you know? it. And, and so I always felt kind of dissatisfied and I was always angling for position. So I pissed other people off. Right. And I never got fully what I wanted in terms of credit, title, money, whatever. Sometimes I got the money I wanted, but it was never the, 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 I was never occupying the position I truly wanted. I was always in this kind of like power play, you know, challenge. And I'm terrible with politics. Like I'm terrible in that sort of office politics environment, corporate politics. Awful. I say all the wrong stuff. I never see what's coming up behind me. And you know, my husband teases me about this all the time. It's another reason that I had to take myself completely out of a place where I might be employed and just run my own thing. Because I just, I think it's a huge waste of time. I can't stand it. It makes me absolutely nuts what the the hoops people jump through and the knots they tie themselves in just to get this person to pay attention to them in a particular way and move that person over there. It's like this gigantic, useless chess game. Yeah. That's a little aside. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I suck at it. <laughs> so even if, even if it wasn't a waste of time, I would still be in a position where that wouldn't be a great environment for me, right? Not a zone of competence or excellence or genius for me. Um, but the, so, so that's the selling out was in my heart Mm -hmm. I knew I had something to say, make, create, offer, but it involved a level of transcendence that I wasn't up to. It involved pushing past my fear. It involved wrangling resistance. It involved giving credence to what it was that I had to say, despite all input to the contrary, right? Mm -hmm. All input that, oh, you shouldn't sing your own stuff. You should have other artists sing it. That was something I heard when I was 20 that derailed me for about a decade. Um, you know, your stuff is a hard sell, right? You don't, you're not writing hits. You're writing album music, right? Um, theater, you can't make any money in theater. Um, you know, TV is getting destroyed. You can't make any money in TV. Uh, budgets are all going away. You can't make any money in movies. Um, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, right? Um, and, and I listened, you know, I listened and I allowed it to take me out time after time after time. And I made my way by just having the appearances that mattered to me, right? I'm looking good. My titles are good. My website is good, right? And in my heart, I knew that I was kind of up against a wall. I was fighting something, but the real fight was in me and I wasn't winning that fight. And I also, you know, the more it was like me, 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 me in the artist career, the less I was able to be in a space of true collaboration where I could actually not only be making the thing, but be leading teams of people who were on board with that vision. You know, instead I was just kind of negotiating with other people's visions. And so, you know, what's happened now as a result of getting more vulnerable and being out there with what matters to me and confessing things like, yes, I procrastinate and no, I don't have it all together all the time. Right. Is, I've now brought into my world this coaching and transformation space and helping people and the platforms and the visibility there, which has created a level, both a level of contribution and service and a level of financial stability that now I'm able to take those risks as an artist that I was afraid to take before. 
I've removed a lot of the circumstances that were rising up and I've done the inner work to get real about where I was afraid and where I was copping out. And so I'm holding myself accountable and being held accountable to do the spiritually hard stuff, the emotionally hard stuff. And I'm creating circumstances around me to support my environment so that I feel safe doing it. That's, 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 that's really massive me. I'm really, I, I can really see how you've made that transition actually, Deborah. now with that. Because if I look in my, okay, my direct walk at work organization, general standard corporate life, it is so steeped in fear. It is so steeped in human beings who don't really know why they're there apart from paying for the bill or putting dinner on the table. Don't get me wrong. That's important. You need yeah. that base level. Right. But, but, but I'm not sure there, I don't really see much more aspiration in a lot of corporate life. Yeah. Beyond that. And do, yeah. I don't know, is that something you still, do you, do you agree? Do you deny, do you challenge that? What's your sort you of know, challenge? I'll be honest with you. I ha, I am barely ever inside any office buildings now. If I'm like visiting a lawyer or a production studio, then I might walk through some offices or an agency or something like that. Um, but yeah, so okay. little of my life, Knockwood, <laughs> uh, <Really>? it is in <laughs> the corporate world that I couldn't, honestly, I could not speak knowledgeably to current corporate okay. culture. However, yeah secondhand information of course i speak to people who have jobs all the time <laughs> you know and uh and yeah that is that's a huge issue i mean that's why people want to get out of corporate life is they want to surround themselves with progressive ambitious souls who believe there's actually the possibility of making a difference on this planet yeah. instead of here we go again when's friday oh shit it's monday <laughs> excuse my language <laughs> <laughs> it's okay right? we don't use bleeps here it's fine <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, now that, uh, now that I'm, I'm traveling in, in the online entrepreneur world and business circles where there's now a little bit of crossover, like the entrepreneur that builds a business to the seven or eight or nine figure point is also a corporation. Yeah. Right. So I, and, and you're catching me actually, I'm just coming off of a mastermind with a, with a business community that I love. That's very like, you know, high performance and, and holding me to a high bar, which I really appreciate. Um, you know, it's not just, Oh, I'm working for myself and now I'm like making six figures and yay. It's like, no, no. Like what is, what's going to be your corporate corporate culture? What's your team going to look like? Where are you going to find and cultivate and lead the talent that's going to be the opposite of what you're talking about. That's not going to just come to work every day and go, uh -huh, okay, here's my job. But like, oh my God, I am on board with this vision. You are a change the world entrepreneur and I want in, right? And people who also want to build their own vision and they want to learn. And have all, it's sort of like almost to me, it reads almost like we're going back a few centuries to craftsmen and apprentices, mm. you know, where someone has a time honored skill, a fine tuned talent, and they're doing something that's useful, right? And the, the, it was blacksmithing. It was, you know, whatever's there. Like, they're, you know, it's, they're, they're, what's the present tense of rot? I can't speak English today. Rot iron. They're rotting. They're rinking iron. Whatever. <laughs> they're, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're working with iron, right? So they're, they're hammering out metals. They're, you know, they're making china. You know, whatever this sort of like antique skills are. Silversmiths, right? That sort of thing. Yeah. These like beautiful, intricate, complex careful spiritual almost talents and teaching the next generation who wants to honor that only now instead of silversmiths and horses hooves we've got the internet we've got info products we've got interior work we've got um 
you know, leadership across platforms that brings people's best selves forward, right? Like we've got uh, subversive platforms to change the banking system and change the political system and tra and transform corporate culture too, right? That's something you're doing. You're going in and saying, I want to transform corporate culture from fear-based to love-based, power-based, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and so I think that the best work in corporate life, the best work that we can do is to, is to be those leaders and model those leaders who are creating a corporate culture that welcomes people coming fully into who they are, being authentically themselves, serving something that matters to them, mm -hmm. right? And finding the best place for them and recognizing when that's not a fit, right? And having both parties have the courage to recognize that and move on to where they should be instead of being in a fearful, but I need the paycheck place, even though this is a bad idea for everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. What's your take in terms of sort of self-awareness as a sort of construct? So sort of generally, whether it's with your clients or, you know, with mm. you personally, because some people talk about vulnerability being part of being more self-aware because it's sort of yeah. this whole sort of purpose thing. There's a lot of talk, again, corporate life, sort of individual life around meaning finding yeah. meaning in what you do, purpose in what you do. Yeah. I question whether people really go any further than just sort of, okay, yeah, I'd like to have more purpose, but then they go back to living the old life sort of thing. It's a nice idea. And maybe it's that accountability piece. You know, I'm not sure I really hear or sense people really leaning into themselves and going, I'm going to try and follow that through now. Yeah. Well, so you're, you're bringing up a couple of different things. First of all, as far as self-awareness and vulnerability, um, you know, I, I've been, and, uh, and the whole personal growth work that you're talking about. I I've been a, a personal growth junkie since I was a teenager. I mean, I did Werner Earhart seminars training, Est, like when Est was in his last days of being Est, and then it became the forum, and then it became the landmark forum, and done many, many, many seminars along the way, relationships, personal growth, wealth consciousness, you name it. If there's a way that I can like have a breakthrough, I'm in, <laughs> right? And so I've done a ton of that. So, so the, the work of self-awareness, the work of being aware of seeing simply what's true and what can be true, creating possibility, stepping into it. That's that work has been with me for a long, long time. Okay. And, and so I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, and I think when it comes to vulnerability, you know, one of the things that we're wired to do as human beings with our egos that aren't going anywhere is look good, be right and win. Mm -hmm. And being vulnerable ostensibly flies in the face of all of that. Mm -hmm. Now, what we discover when we can have that 30 seconds of courage that it takes to step forward and say, this is what's real, this is what's true, instead of what do I need to say or do or be to look good and be right and win, is we discover that we are infinitely more lovable, infinitely more well-received, acknowledged. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, vulnerable is one of those words, right? It's like, I'm not talking about being an irresponsible mess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm talking about being vulnerable, like letting go of the ego constructs that say, don't let them see you. Mm -hmm. You're not enough. You're too much. Those are the untrue constructs and power centers that the ego throws up because ultimately 
it's just trying to do the job of protecting us and keeping us alive. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's an extension of the 200 million year old alligator brain, monkey brain, call it whatever you want to call it, that's like, don't change, don't die, right? At the base of your brain, you've got the whole like, any change is alarming, right? Any risk is you might as well have the woolly mammoth chasing you. Doesn't know the difference between the woolly mammoth and a car cutting you off in traffic, right? So the ego is in place to keep us safe, but safe often is equivalent to stagnation yeah and safe often does not equate happiness happiness generally comes from us well that's a much bigger conversation where happiness comes from <laughs> comes from but but in my world uh happiness comes from a sense of liberated self-expression and to love and be loved and when we are vulnerable when we are able to be vulnerable i.e real, authentic, present, not trying to make something other than what it is, not trying to show up as other than who you are, um, that that's when the connections really get deep and rich and fulfilling. And we have a whole different experience of being in our own lives and bodies and relationships. I love that. I, I, love, I, I love that. I, I think for, for me personally, the last, let's say, since we met, there's definitely been that my awareness is definitely deepened, but I think I've still got a bit of fear going on, as you well know, around that sort of that, 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 that sort of crossing the chasm, as it were. But I, I, I'd like to just have a little natter with you, if I may, around sort of the mental health aspect. I'm not sure what it's like in the US, Deborah, but over here, there's, you call it an epidemic, whatever you might want, whatever you want to call it, but there's a very, very serious issue. You're looking at sort of 35 billion being wiped off the UK economy every year due to mixed anxiety, depression. You know, men are, you know, three times more likely to commit suicide, self-medicating. And I'm not... Oh, yeah. The opioid I'm, epidemic in the U.S. And, the same over there. Well, it's very bad. It's very, very bad. Um, you know, I would just offer the caveat, first of all, that I do not want to claim to be an authority in this area at all. Okay. I'm a productivity coach. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a PhD or a therapist. Yeah. I don't do therapy. That said, I do yeah. dig deep with my clients. I dig deep mm -hmm. with myself. I dig deep with my clients. I dig deep with my colleagues. Like as artists, this is the sole work that we're here to do is excavating all of the demons, right? And, and, uh, and, and wrangling them, handling them. Um, and also speaking truth to them for the rest of the world, right? Creating art that moves and inspires and heals and, and all that good stuff. So, so I'm very much in the world of working with um, these maladies and this epidemic. Um, however, I do not purport to have a cure. What mm -hmm. I believe, or even a, a cogent comment about why it's so, what I believe is that we have become an increasingly hyper-stimulated, superficially connected society where we are plugged in, hooked up all the time, and yet we are failing to have meaningful connections either with ourselves or other people. And so we are starving mm -hmm. and it, we are lonely and it's making us crazy. And then we're medicating that and then it gets worse. And then we're medicating that and then it gets worse. And that's an oversimplified, I know people could super jump in with lots of, but that's where I'm at with it. And, it's, and especially in the US, that's what's happening with our food and our bodies as well. We are stuffing ourselves with nutritionally empty, completely bankrupt food that at best is nutritionally bankrupt and at worst is poisonous because of everything that's going into it. Mm -hmm. We have a, an upside down production priority where we are taking most of the grain and agriculture and produce and putting it in service of feeding livestock and then medicating that livestock, treating it horrifically 
-hmm. and packaging it and putting it into fast food and feeding terror and drugs and (laughs) bacterial residue uh, and hormones uh, and trash to people along with sugar and salt (laughs) and lots and lots and lots of fat. And, um, and then we wonder why we have brain fog and we're fat (laughs) Uh, and, and we're not operating optimally, you know? Um, And so, yeah, this, I mean, this can get really depressing when you start to really (laughs) jump into it, but that, I mean, ultimately that is what I think we're up against. We're up against, um, you know, a, and an overstuffing and overconsuming on things that are not nourishing us, whether it's our food, our information, our entertainment, anything that we're kind of taking into our brains and our bodies, we're just bloated and empty at the same time. And so, you know, the job is to continually seek what actually nourishes us, both in the form of healthy food and information for our brains and bodies and connections and relationships to feed and fuel our souls. We are pack animals. We're tribal clan beasts, right? And as, as advanced and evolved quote unquote, as we are, we've not evolved past that. We can die of loneliness and we are a little bit dying all the time. People are scared. People are lonely. People are tired and we, it's much easier and cheaper to feed the id that just says more, more, more than to see what, who we actually are and what we actually need and address that. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, let's say we won't be, we won't be too depressed on this chat, but I think it's important, you know, we, we, at the same time, I think what these chats are important is to actually have these reflections though, because we can, we can live in that, that bubble of everything's perfect, talking just to our friends who Facebook feeds us the people that we like, Twitter feeds us the people that we like. So I think it's good, at least, I think as part of this conversation, to at least put it out there, Deborah. I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to say anything out of that, and hopefully this would be sort of the encouraging bit, (laughs) is, yes, you know what? When you feel like it's harder to have the salad instead of the cookie, yeah, it probably is. And when you feel like it's harder to get yourself up and take a walk around the block than watch TV. Yeah, it probably is. Um, and, and when you feel like it's harder to, you know, stop doing whatever you're doing and write a paragraph, uh, about your dream life and what life might be like if you weren't stuck with this, that, or the other circumstance. Yeah. Those might feel harder and total respect and props. It, nobody's saying that's easy, mm-hmm. but oh my God, so worth it. And you can take the babiest of baby steps. Mm-hmm. You can take the babiest of baby steps. Like honestly, if you're on the couch or you're, you know, in some place where you're just like, you're in inertia, you're in a rut, it feels hard to move out of that. Like literally just stand up out of your chair, stand up off of your couch. You can sit right back down again in 10 seconds, mm-hmm. but just stand up, just stand up, take one deep breath, pull your shoulders back, exhale fully, and just check in like, hey, I'm a human being, I'm alive. I can stand up, not everybody can. All right, awesome. I I, I think it's awesome. I'm gonna gonna move, I actually love what you're saying here because I just wanna go back a bit to when you introduced yourself, Debbie, you spoke about this sort of vehement curiosity and interest in basically, you know, self-development, you know, learning instruments, music. 
you know, do you see any sort of correlation or certainly as you grew up, as you, as you went into the world of work, between that sort of curiosity and awareness? Did you feel you knew who you were even from a young age to some extent? You knew what fired you up, you knew what you enjoyed. You know, is there any sort of- To some of extent, to some extent. I went through lots and lots of angst. Like I knew that I had a, a huge passion and talent for music. But it wasn't like there was a clear career path there, you know. I mean, my parents, God bless them, were like, could you please just, you know, major in computer science or, you know, <laughs> do something where you can definitely get a job because we don't want to send you to Princeton and then you're going to be like on the streets playing trombone. What are you doing? <laughs> right? Like that. I fought with them all the way through college and spent the first 10 years of my career weaning them off of the idea that I was going to have a job. Um, so it's even though I knew what my passions and gifts were to some extent. It's not like I knew who I was and I knew what I was going to do. I also kind of had it from both ends. I was uh, scholastically quite advanced as well. And so I had, you know, the people who were in my advanced classes in high school saying, you're not going to waste your career on music, are you? And then people in my musical world going, you're not going to waste your brains on music. And people in the musical camps going, you're not going to waste your talent on be like being a lawyer or some politician or something. You know what I mean? It was just, I had plenty of input and it was an embarrassment of riches. I mean, I'm not going to lie, good problems to have people saying you could do anything. Right. But there's also the sort of curse of you could do anything. Therefore I have no freaking idea what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the, there was also the sort of, well, at least you know what you love to do. Yeah, but I also had a really high priority for making a living and being successful in the material domain. So in some ways, it was even more torturous to know that I had a passion and a gift that didn't lend itself to like a job or a, a set career path, you know? Um, so, so yeah, to a certain extent, I absolutely had passion. I knew I was curious. I knew I was going to be a lifelong learner. Um, and, uh, and I knew what made me feel good. Um, I knew where my energy was most lit up and, and circulating in my body and in my heart. Um, those things I knew pretty early on. But how I was going to apply those to a life, I did not know. And mm -hmm. the more I sought and the more I worried, the more fraught that became and the more torturous it seemed that I did have some things and desires because they seemed to be just kind of getting in my way and taunting me. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It, it certainly buffs it out because because what I'm interested in what you just described as well is that sort of yeah nice problem to have around people giving you their view. You know, mm -hmm. I've certainly been guilty on, on more than one occasion of actually listening to them more than you actually listen to yourself, to your heart, to your soul, to where you want to go as an individual. Yeah. And I yeah. think sometimes when I look at my awareness at the moment, it's sort of look. I still believe that I'm going a certain place, but every now and again, I will still let that person their voice override my own internal voice. I'm just wondering yeah. if that's something you, you come across much. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's always a dance. It's yeah. always a dance. Cause like I said, we're pack animals. We yeah. love to get approval and acknowledgement from other people. People will do more for praises than raises. We hear all the time, right? <laughs> like, you know, the acknowledgement, appreciation, a feeling of belonging. These are deep survival needs, right? Mm -hmm. Cause if you got separated from the pack, you would die. Mm -hmm. in the ancient days of the woolly mammoths and the saber-toothed tigers, right? So it's a deep need. It's, a, it's almost a, it's a primal, almost biological need. 
to be appreciated, to be acknowledged, to have agreement, to have consensus. It's, it flies in the face. It you know, really gets the ego back on its heels when somebody's like, you shouldn't do that. That's not good, right? So we crave approval often. And, and you get people, especially perfectionists, are often major people pleasers, right? There's a major, like, everybody has to say I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has to be happy with everything I do or my life is falling apart, right? So, so there are all sorts of ways that we bend ourselves into pretzels, um, trying to make sure that other people approve of what we do. Um, and we do want to have a genuine sense of belonging, mm -hmm. but recognize that the game is to find your place in the world as your authentic self. So you're not turning yourself into a pretzel all the time. Yep. So it's, again, it's that 30 seconds of courage of like, okay, let's check in. How does what that person is saying line up with what I deeply feel? Like when that person, or there was one person in particular, but when those people, when I was younger and still trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, told me that I shouldn't sing my own stuff, that landed hard, not just because somebody told me, but because I also knew that my voice was not up to what I wanted it to be. There's something called the taste gap. When you have like a lot of talent and a lot of drive, you know what you want to do and be, sound like, look like, et cetera, and you're not there yet when you're just starting out. So you have the torture of the taste gap. You know where you want to be. You have good taste. It's part of what makes you ambitious and talented in that direction, but you actually have to catch up your own skills to it, right? So I had a taste gap with my own voice. I had not worked, to, I had not done the work to bring my voice to the point where it was as powerful an instrument as what I was doing on the piano. But instead of taking that person's input and bringing it to a place where I could be authentic and vulnerable and align with what I deeply desired, what I deeply desired was in fact to be that artist that was both singing and playing my own stuff. Instead, I copped out. I didn't do the work to close the taste gap that I knew was there. And I let that person just say, well, your voice isn't good enough. And I just went with that. Right? Yeah. So it's that dance. Take constructive criticism. Take the input. Mm -hmm. Check it out for yourself. What's true here? And if a part of it is true, that doesn't mean you need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's touching on something that scares the bejesus out of you because that matters to you. So if it matters to you, drill down and get good at it. <laughs> right? Make your way through the part where it sucks and you worry and you feel like you're no good and nobody's ever going to blah, 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 whatever. Yes. Everybody's got that at the top levels of every industry. Everybody's got that. You know, I've won awards. I've made a bunch of money. My stuff has been all over the world. And when I sit down to write a new song, I go through it every single time. Maybe you already wrote your last one. <laughs> Maybe you're never going to write another good lyric ever again. Maybe you're just not as hip as the kids these days and you don't know how to make sexy sounding music anymore. <laughs> Maybe they're not going to like anything that you do, right? Like it just, it happens. And then I do my various processes. <laughs> I go, you know, I walk my talk and I follow my own advice and then I get to a place where I can make it work. And then I make the thing and then I feel like I'm doing what I'm here to do on the planet because I made the thing I was here to make. Oh, you're so inspiring, Deborah. Honestly, I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to playing this back and listening to myself because you just you you do really come across someone that's truly living and breathing your purpose. Yeah, you, know, you genuinely do. Really, Thank you. you really, really do. And I think so. Maybe give us a little bit of a, an overview as to maybe some of the programs you are running in case people have got interested 
interested to reach out to you or where can people reach you to try and actually connect? Absolutely. And I'm looking at the time and realizing, oh gosh, I've got one of those starting in about three minutes. So we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, um, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I work with people two different ways. Um, I have a very limited number of people that I work with in private mentorship. Um, that is a by invitation only thing. Um, and it's very case specific. I take on a limited number of people per year. Um, I'm not taking anyone uh, right now, but I'm very happy to chat with people and, and, uh, and put people on a waiting list. And then um, the program that I have launching very shortly, um, which is full, but, uh, but I'm very happy to talk to people about what it is and possibly put them in the next round. Uh, it's called Mission Accomplished. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a combination of private coaching and group coaching group coaching with an online platform for daily accountability coaching and support. And I have people from all walks. I've got my current group is eight people in seven time zones. Uh, my new group is a dozen people in, I think we have seven or eight time zones. Um, all different, like I do have some people in the corporate world, um, in finance, in accounting, in, um, in sales, I have artists, writers, dancers, I have a ceramics artist, I have a mosaic artist, I have uh, just wow. musicians, of course, actors, writers, just an extraordinary panoply um, that I'm very, very gratified and inspired to serve. And what they all have in common is, very broadly put, there's where their life is now, there's where they see their life being, where they are a more self-expressed person, mm -hmm. where their creative work is is first of all created and you know finished projects done out in the world their book is published their business launched their invention patented you know um, their team robust and healthy and they're getting the results that they want right like all of these things they see or they've got like a, just a backlog of stuff that's not been done not getting done right like all this stuff and and so they see what's possible but they feel stopped or stuck or they're just not sure how to close the gap to get from here to there and the perfectionism is what comes up. Okay. The bad habits around productivity that are rooted in perfectionism, right? I just need to tweak it one more time. I just need to give it one more editing pass. I just need to read one more book. I just need to take more course, one more course. Like it's an irony that I'm giving a course and like don't take one more course, right? But, <laughs> but my course can be a container for people who are taking courses and then not doing them, right? Yeah. Like how many courses have people taken and they either haven't done the homework or they haven't retained the knowledge or they haven't implemented the course of action right? This is about, this is not about content, which is why I can have so many people from so many different worlds in it. It's about the process of moving through resistance, taking consistent daily actions with certain magical formulas that I provide that actually get people to where they want to be. And, and just because I do have to go in one moment, but I'll give you one, my favorite example from, from my most recent group is a novelist who is a freelance writer. She's already a professional writer. This is not a wannabe. This is someone who has the professional skill set. She knows how to get it done, be on deadline, right, etc. cetera. Uh, however, she had a novel, a memoir actually, um, that has been like her deep life's work. And she's been at it for seven years. And what she said on her last call was, I've gotten more done in the last four months than I have in the last four years combined. And okay. she will actually have, it's actually, we're days away from her actually turning in her first draft. So, um, so that kind of stuff is just, that's, that warms my heart. And, and when you say I, I do appear to be living in my purpose or embodying, you know, walking my talk, as I like to say, yeah, that is exactly the kind of thing that I'm going for and helping with. So I don't just work with writers and people in creative projects. It's really anyone who kind of has that nudge of here's what I'd like to be doing. Here's who I'd like to be stepping into, the identity I'd like to be stepping into. And I'm just not doing it for whatever reason. So I help you cross that line. 
Brilliant. Well, look there, but I know you've got a dash. Just a quick one. What, how can people reach you? Twitter, email, awesome. website? So, yeah. So please go to freedomforperfectionists.com because I actually have a free gift there for everybody um, right. that I got up and running for you, Gary. So, uh, so freedomforperfectionists, plural, dot com. And there is uh, my free three-part video series, The Five Keys to Maximize Results with Minimum Stress. And that's just a nice little starter pack to kind of get you into processes that can get you into action and giving you kind of like access to what matters to you and checking in on that. Um, and then being able to take action to really see results on that. Um, so, so go grab that. And what that'll do is that'll put you on my list. Um, and then you'll get occasional emails from me. You can unsubscribe anytime, of course, but I send out fun content. Um, and you can also so contact me through that. So when you when you sign up at Freedom for Perfectionists, I'll get your email um, and you'll get mine. And then you can always email me and uh, and just say hi. Saw you on Gary's podcast. Tell me more. Um, Fantastic. So you're absolutely welcome to do that. And for more on my work as an artist, if you're interested in all the geeky theater and movie TV stuff, you can go to herwitzmusic.com. And that's my last name: H U R W I T Z music one word. dot com. Uh, but head on over to Freedom for Perfectionists and uh, and get yourself some goodies. Great. Well, look, thank you for spending the time, Deborah. And uh, have, a great, have a great afternoon. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi there, just Gary Turner again, just wrapping up following my really engaging and interesting conversation with Deborah Hurwitz this evening. Deborah, for me, is really inspiring on, on multiple levels, but particularly her ability and her authenticity to truly live her personal purpose and indeed is, is trying to help other people do the same. Why am I so impressed by this? Is because there's an awful lot of discussion, particularly in the HR area. Um, there's a lot of research and reports going on around the importance of purpose, the importance of meaning at work, things that I'm very personally very passionate about. But often that gets lost uh, it gets lost in the day job, it gets lost in uh, the busyness of everybody's individual lives. And what I see and, and hear and um, you know, sense when, when speaking with Deborah is she really is someone that has got it absolutely nailed. I'm not saying she doesn't have her difficult days, but she really does truly espouse the values and, and the belief uh, to, to try and live her, her true and authentic self, which, which I just find brilliant. Uh, she touched on other things such as fears, she was very open about her vulnerabilities and how she's had to lean into those vulnerabilities um, throughout her life. And I question if you know, that ability to be so vulnerable is indeed part of her strength and has helped her clarify um, you know, that personal purpose and is helping her be as, uh, um, as outwardly focused on that purpose as she is. Um, she clearly focuses on more on the area of entrepreneurs rather than in, let's say, corporate life. But the parallels are clear to see. You know, there's an awful lot of discussion as well around entrepreneurship at the moment. And if we are going to have more of an entrepreneurial culture where you really do unleash the creativity and innovation that every single person I truly believe holds within an organization, then really we've got to start you know, allowing people to, to be a lot more of who they are, a lot more themselves. Deborah spoke about this, you know, the, the, these masks of fear that are clearly worn within the creative sector where, where you need to fit in, you need to be seen to be the best, you need to seem to be cosmetically at the top of your game. You know, anything apart from being seen as being perfect really is frowned upon. And you can see that coming through in the um, Freedom for Perfectionists uh, webinar, which is how I first met Deborah. 
So again, you know, just looking at this pack mentality as well. So, you know, we are human beings and I think so often we, we operate um, in, often in our individual silos as well as in our work silos as well. And, you know, we are all connected. You know, we're all deeply connected and, you know, it can sound a little bit woo or spiritual, but I firmly believe that. And we're, you know, as we become further and further apart in how we think and in how we, we live our lives, it actually makes it more difficult to connect. Um, so, you know, listening and reflecting, throwing the conversation with Deborah um, really just reinforces positively for me that, you know, as a, as a human race, we are actually coming back together. And the one thing that can actually keep us apart, as, as Deborah and I discussed around um, technology, so the myopic focus on looking at just on your likes, on your social media, you know, eating the wrong food, you know, not looking after yourself, not being accountable, that can be the negative side of things. But technology truly, and I truly believe this, and my ability to share this podcast with you, the ability for me to reach out and connect with someone like Deborah, that just would never have happened a decade ago, not on the, the mass scale that it can today and with the, the cheap um, cost of that process as well. So I see, and I'm an optimist, but I see more than that, I do see a huge opportunity for us, more of us to live our lives like Deborah's living her life, you know, truly being clear on who we are, what we believe in, what our purpose is, and really lean into that, lean into the fears, take the steps um, to truly live the life that we all dream of. You know, it is out there. Um, you, know, you know, I've got to challenge myself on that as well. Um, but, you know, I feel super positive after speaking with Deborah. I'm grateful for her sparing the time. And please do reach out to her at, um, via her website, um, Productivity for Perfectionists, or indeed reach out to her on Twitter. Um, all of that information is in the show notes. And just to wrap up with probably my most amusing takeaway from our discussion um, this evening, corporate politics she referred to as a huge waste of time chess game. Just hold that thought as you, uh, as you finish this podcast. How much time do we waste? How much effort do we waste lying, hiding, faking just to get by in a system that clearly we, we shouldn't be sitting within? So all the best for now. We do have bills to pay, but don't let that hold you back from trying to live your dreams. All the very best for now. Hope to see you on the next podcast. Thank you.